Thank you, Miss Nancy. Uh, you always bless us with your children's messages. And um, I also want to say a special thank you to our ushers today. Uh, we couldn't do this without you. Uh, and Ron Jackson, our head usher, has just done an amazing job of, of trying to help us um, make this possible to worship together as safely as possible. So I do want to extend a, a, a big appreciation to our ushers today. Um, today's sermon title is called Not for Sale, and the text is this passage from Genesis. I, I think most of you know by now that I'm getting married, and so um, uh, we've spent the last several weeks, my fiance Hillary and I, I've been looking at my stuff, and she's been looking at her stuff, and we've been trying to decide what's going to be our stuff and uh, our house is not big enough for all of my stuff and all of her stuff to become our stuff so we're having to try to work that out and so one of the things that I've been doing is I've been um, taking pictures of some of my stuff that I've been told is not going to be our stuff and try to send it out to people to see if maybe they'd like to buy some of my stuff. And I've been amazed at how many people want to buy my stuff, even though it's apparently not good enough to be our stuff. But also interesting to me is this whole idea that I send out the pictures and I say, okay, this stuff is for sale. And people have responded and said, well, I don't want any of that stuff. I can see why it's not going to be our stuff. But there's some other stuff behind your stuff that I'd like to buy. Is that for sale? And I'm like, well, no, that's going to be our stuff. So that's not for sale. Do you have anything in your life that's not for sale? I mean, do you have anything that it doesn't matter what you were offered for it, you just would never, ever part from it? I suspect that you do. It might be a wedding band or a wedding ring that your deceased spouse wore for all of the years that you were together, and you're not getting rid of that. Or it might be a bed that your grandmother slept in and then your uh, mother slept in and then you slept in it and now your child sleeps in it and, and, and you're not, you're not going to get rid of, of that bed. Or it might be like a cedar chest maybe that your dad made in shop class. Maybe it was the first thing that he ever made with his own hands. And, and you know, it's, it's looking kind of worn and probably needs to be restained. But you're not, you're not going to sell that because that, that means a whole lot to you and your family. Maybe it's an ironing board, you know, a wooden ironing board that for generations, uh, the women in your family, predominantly was women, would, would, would iron the clothes for the family, especially as they prepared to go to church on Sunday mornings, maybe for the first time in a long time. Or maybe it's a farm. Maybe you have so many memories of, of your family being on this farm and, and, and so many things that you um, uh, treasure about being able to walk those grounds, the same grounds that your ancestors walked upon. And, and so you're not going to get rid of that either. I suspect that 
for all of us, there's at least one thing in our life, at least one thing that we're just not going to get rid of. I know I'm cackling, crackling, so maybe I'll take this out, um, that uh, we're just not going to get rid of because of um, um, it means so much to our families. You know, in our scripture lesson today, Esau is willing to get rid of his birthright, which in the ancient world would typically not be for sale. I mean, you're not going to sell your birthright uh, for a couple of different reasons. You're not going to sell your birthright first and foremost because it's worth a lot of money. Your birthright was, was the equivalent of getting a double share of the inheritance when your father died. So if you were the firstborn male child back in biblical times, uh, you, were, you were given the birthright. And so when your father died, you would get a double portion. So if you had 12 brothers or sis, 12 brothers total, um, when your father died and you were the eldest, that in all of the property, all of the possessions would be divided into 13 portions. And as the eldest son, you would get two thirteenths of all of the stuff. Now, that might be a nice chunk, a change. But just think about if you only had one brother and you were the eldest and your father died. And you get a double portion of that. That means if you only have one brother, that the inheritance will be divided into thirds. And you will get two-thirds of the inheritance. And your brother would only get one-third. That was the case with Esau. And when you think about who was Esau's family, you remember his father was Isaac, but who was his grandfather? Abraham. And do you remember what God said to Abraham? God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great person. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you abundantly. So for Esau to give up his birthright, I mean, he has given up a lot of material possessions that could be equated with currency. He is the grandson of Abraham who's been blessed beyond measure. Why in the world would his birthright be for sale? But not only would he give up the material possessions that come with a birthright of being the eldest son, but he'd also give up identity. He would also give up his status. I mean, if you were the eldest son, uh, that there came with that a great, prestige. And when your father died, you became the patriarch of the family. You were the one that would make all of the decisions concerning the family. Inherent in having the birthright would be this prestige and this power that you couldn't get any other way than by having that birthright. And so he's not just giving up a lot of money. He's also giving up a lot of power. Why in the world would Esau give up his birthright? There are some things that shouldn't be for sale. And if you were going to sell it, why would you sell it for a bowl of stew? I can't even begin to understand that. 
Well, the scripture says that, um, that there was already conflict between these two brothers in the womb. Uh, you, you remember the story. Rebecca and Isaac were unable to have children. And just like their Isaac's parents, Abraham and Sarah, well, Isaac prays to God and says, you know, I'd really like to have a child. And God hears Isaac's prayer and God uh, gives Isaac a child. But unbeknownst to them at the time, she's actually going to get pregnant with twins. Rebecca probably doesn't know she's going to get pregnant with twins, but she realizes that after she gets pregnant, that it's a difficult pregnancy. There is something going on in here. It is not right, and it is bothering her so much that she herself goes to God, and she prays about her pregnancy. And she says, if it is going to be this difficult, I'm not sure that being pregnant is worth the suffering. And so God says to Rebecca, answers her prayer in an oracle, and God says to her that there are actually two children in your womb, and that what is happening there is just a foretaste of what is going to happen throughout their lives, that these two children are going to be uh, fathers of two great nations, and they're always going to be competing against one another. And then God tells Rebecca that the uh, uh, older son will actually end end up serving the younger son. And so that's what's happening here. And when, Eli when uh, Esau and Jacob are finally born, uh, they couldn't be more different. Esau comes out, he's like red and hairy. I don't know what that really means exactly. Maybe it just is the narrator's way of saying, this is a manly man. I mean, he's like hair all over him. He's good looking, redheaded, you know, maybe, I don't know. But... Um, uh, but it, maybe he's a manly man. And then we're told that Jacob comes out next and that Jacob is actually grabbing hold of the heel of Esau. It's as if they've been fighting in the womb about who was going to be born first. And, and Jacob was trying everything that he could do in order to be the firstborn child himself. And then we're told as soon as they came out that the parents started choosing favorites and that Isaac liked Esau more and Rebekah liked uh, Jacob more. How is that for energizing conflict and controversy in a family? Try that and see how it goes over. And then we're told that as they continue to get older, their differences become more and more pronounced. Uh, Jacob is at home um, in, in the tents. He is primarily a, a shepherd. He probably doesn't travel too far away from home at all. Uh, and, and Esau is like a man of a wild and he loves to hunt big game. And, and, and so their differences become even more pronounced. Uh, he's a great hunter, Esau is. Well, then one day, the story that we read about this morning, uh, Jacob is cooking up a stew. And Esau has been out hunting. We don't know how long he'd been out hunting. Maybe he'd been out hunting for several days. Maybe uh, he hadn't killed anything while he was out hunting for those several days. All we know is that he comes back in from hunting and he is absolutely famished. And he asks his brother Jacob for some of that stew. 
Well, we don't know if Jacob had been told by his mother who loved him about this oracle that she'd had from God. But maybe she had. Maybe she had told Jacob that one day your brother, your older brother, is going to end up serving you instead of you serving him. Maybe he knew about that oracle. Or maybe he just knew that his brother was one of those guys that his allowance burns a hole in his pocket. And so he's just got to spend it as quickly as he can because he's just afraid that he's going to lose it or something's going to happen to it if he doesn't. And so maybe uh, Jacob uh, knew that about his twin brother Esau, that, that he was rather impulsive and that he would do things without really thinking them through. Maybe that's what was going on. Maybe he knew that his brother would come in hungry. Maybe he knew that, that, that his brother would pay anything for a taste of his wonderful homemade stew. Do you think Esau was really dying of starvation when he came back in? Uh, do you think he was really at the point of death? He was so hungry. I mean, I guess it's possible. And if it is that is the case, then it makes sense why he would say that, well, my birthright's no good to me if I'm going to be dead. Maybe he'd been out hunting for days and hadn't killed anything. And he literally was at the point of death because he was so hungry. Or maybe, maybe he was just exaggerating a little bit. You know, like we're all so prone to exaggerate. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Really? I'd like to see that. Um, maybe that's what was going on with uh, Jake, Jacob's brother Esau. Uh, but he says his birthright is, means absolutely nothing to him. Maybe Esau, as the older brother, is just thinking he always gets what he wants anyway. Maybe that's what it is. And you ought to just do for me what I want you to do. And maybe Jacob, the younger brother, is actually not used to getting everything his way. And he's had to take some risks in life. He's had to seize his opportunity whenever he gets it. And so he sees an opportunity here with his older brother. He's probably thinking, there's no way this guy is going to give me his birthright. But he is really hungry, so I'm going to make a deal with him and say, I'll give you some of my stew if you'll give me your birthright. I mean, all he can do is say no, right? I mean, it's all he can do, so why not go ahead and try it? And so that's what he says to Esau, and guess what? Esau's belly overrides his brain, and he is willing to give uh, what I would think should not be for sale to his brother. He sells his entire future for what would be the equivalent of a Wendy's bowl of chili. I mean, it's really good in the moment, but you're probably going to pay for it after a while. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's willing to do. Just for a bowl of soup. Well, some people say that Esau had no choice in the matter. That this had been preordained by God since the very beginning. That, that uh, this oracle that God had given uh, was, uh, was a way of saying that this is what I have already ordained to happen. 
I don't tend to believe that, and if you believe that, that's, that's okay. I certainly think with, with credibility you could interpret it that way. But, but when I look at Rebecca and Jacob and the lengths that they will go to later in this story to try to manipulate situations and try to manipulate people in order to make the oracle come true, I don't think that they thought this was preordained. I, I, I tend to think that when God spoke that oracle to Rebekah, God was just saying what God already knew was true. Not necessarily that God had ordained it that way, but that God already knew how this story was going to play out. Now, I don't know what the point of the sermon should be today, but here's in light of where I am in my life right now, what I thought about. Some things just aren't for sale. Some things shouldn't be for sale. And yet, every single one of us know people who have sold something that shouldn't have been for sale. Maybe it's the college student that says, you know what, I want to marry a godly man who loves the Lord and who loves me like he loves the Lord. And, and yet you go out and you date anybody that will ask you out. <laughs> you don't have any kind of uh, standards. Or, or maybe it's the person who says, you know what, I want to be in deeper relationship with my friends. I want to have the deepest, most abiding friendships possible. And yet, you spend more time at work than you do cultivating relationships with your friends. Or maybe it's the person who's married. It's not a great marriage, but it's a good marriage. But a few nights of passion or looking at the wrong websites on the computer end up destroying that good marriage. You see, I think we're all capable of selling something that shouldn't be for sale. I think we're all impulsive at times. I think we're all uh, tempted to trade what is ultimate for what is immediate. And I think one of the lessons we can learn from this story today is that some things should not be for sale. What are you tempted to sell that you really have no business selling? May God give us the grace to keep and to treasure those things as gifts. Amen.